Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Colleen Chow. Colleen is the author of In the Hands of a Fiercely Tender God, and she is on the show talking about her cancer. She has stage four terminal cancer, and so she is talking today about encouragement for the sufferer. She says it is possible to face the darkest days of life with hope and joy and purpose. I can't wait for you to tune in to today's episode with Colleen Chow. Well, hello, Colleen, and welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so honored to be sharing this time with you, Rachel. Thanks for having me. So we are chatting about finding God's goodness in the unexpected chapters of our lives. And some of your unexpected chapters include singleness, chronic illness, and terminal cancer. So would you start today's conversation by sharing these unexpected parts of your story with us. We're, we're starting off strong, right? (laughs) (laughs) Jumping in. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. And I have to start by saying I'm that girl that had all the dreams (laughs) and ambitions. And I tell people all the time at age 18, I had the world on a string. So I was going to be married by 22. That would have been late for me, (laughs) but by 22, by the time I graduated from college and popped out kids and ministered with a pastor or missionary husband. And, um, that is not what God had planned. And so the first unexpected chapter was singleness. And by 25, I felt like an old maid. I just saw what is happening to me. All my friends were married, popping out babies, all, all my friends, except one. And I just thought life was passing me by and then 30 came and went and I was still single. And these were years of finding out that God was who he said he was in scripture, because I was clinging to his words and his promises because life wasn't making sense. I was also going through a lot of depression and some anxiety and, um, that was a long season, not as long as some, some have waited far longer than I did. I got married at 34. Um, but that was definitely an unexpected chapter where I was not sure even what to make of life. I didn't have, it was a couple's world that I lived in. All of my circles um, were married with children and I would sit at a table as the only single, and I didn't know how to fit in. I knew God was good. I knew that in my head, but my heart was starting to understand that I could experience his goodness in the confusion and the um, uncertainty, the unknown, not knowing that I would ever get married, right? That was not a given. And I was starting to be able to come to this place where I could live in that um, kind of messiness and uncertainty of um, if I'm single for the rest of my life, God can be, can still be good. Well, he was gracious and kind and brought along a husband at the same time that um, my, my health started to unravel. I'd had these strange symptoms through my twenties, but they were manageable. Um, in general, I'd been pretty healthy, but um, early thirties, right before I met my husband, I start having these chronic issues and pain and illness. Um, and that ended up being a 13 year journey 
through. So as we were dating, we were going to specialists, <laughs> trying to figure out what was going on with my body. And, um, that was a long season in the middle of that. I got pregnant and gave birth to this beautiful baby boy that, um, that also had chronic issues, um, chronic health issues. So we trudged through some long, dark years of, um, illness, of, um, insomnia and, you know, not sleeping because of both my son and my issues. And, um, that those were years again, where I was coming to find out that God was who he says he is in scripture. It just didn't look like I had thought it would look. Um, and after I had waited so long for marriage, I felt like it was unfair <laughs> to have two unexpected chapters now in my story. I kind of, I think subconsciously I thought with singleness, ah, this'll be, um, I've put in my time, you know, this'll be my suffering. This is my story to share with people. Um, but there was more and God was taking me to a new and deeper place in himself and teaching me, um, how to keep my eyes on him and not look around me because it was easy to look around and go, what in the world? This doesn't you know, this isn't fair. This doesn't add up. Um, as I looked at my friends and their lives. Um, but I was slowly also starting to realize that everyone has their own stuff, right? So in the middle of my unexpected, unexpected chapters, I was starting to see that God gifts his children with unique chapters of, you know, each story has their unexpected chapters. Um, so he was tendering my heart to others and their unique sufferings. And then, um, Eight years into chronic illness, I felt a little lump in my right breast one morning. This was five years ago now. And I was like, there's no way. <laughs> there's no God, this cannot be cancer, right? You wouldn't do this. Um, and I got weepy that morning. Um, I told my husband and we both were, you know, hopeful, like maybe it's just, you know, one of those strange lumps women get. Um, but sure enough, it was cancer. Breast cancer was um, the next unexpected chapter. And because it came on the heels of so much illness, I, I just didn't know how I could walk through that. Um, my body was so exhausted and I was already so tired of going to the doctor. And now we were, <laughs> we were leveling up on the doctor visits <laughs> and the appointments and um, the protocols. And so that became the next unexpected chapter of life. And in each of these chapters, it's interesting recently, I've given a lot more thought to this, um, this story that God has written and I see it's neat looking over my shoulder. Now I'm 45, almost 46 looking over my shoulder and seeing that God has been so beautiful in even the way that he's kind of organized the suffering, that sounds kind of weird, but how he scripted this story, I would not change it at this point. I would not change one of those chapters. Um, but that doesn't mean it was hard to, to, you know, I wrestled. I'm, I'm, I don't get to faith easily. <laughs> I don't, um, return to joy easily, but God has been so good in this crazy story that he's written that I never, ever would have chosen for myself when I was 18. But, um, it's kind of a little 30,000 foot look at those, those chapters that took me by surprise. I'm, I'm honestly speechless because that, 
your story is a story that I don't know that anybody would say that they would want to. Yeah. Yeah. Out. <laughs> um, and yet as I'm watching you, you, you're telling the story with a smile on your face somehow. Mm. And that baffles me. And the yeah. only answer I can muster is that it has to be the Lord yeah. in you radiating yeah. through you. And it's so beautiful mm. and inspiring mm. to witness that. And, mm. um, I would love to hear, have you mm. always been a believer? Like at the very beginning, mm. like through your singleness and through all of these unexpected chapters, I mean, you seem very grounded in your faith, but was, was, mm. has that always been the case or when did you first come to a relationship with the Lord? I'd yeah, love I, I love that. I love that question. Yeah. I, so I grew up in a pastor's family, so Jesus was just part of, you know, the everyday and came to a simple faith at a young age, but it was at a let, well, 11's young too, but four, four years old. I just, I was a terror child. So I knew I was a sinner early. So, um, I understood this simple gospel at four, but it was at 11. And I had just, I really, what my childhood was rugged. I just was a really difficult child. Um, I'm not sure why my parents had more kids after me. I was the oldest and the first and they had more. I'm not sure why, but, um, but it was at 11 that my heart caught fire for God's word and how I could find, um, find him in those pages of scripture. So my teenage years were rich and, um, a huge time of growth spiritually, but, I was insanely self-righteous and so confident <laughs> in my works and my holiness. And so it was the unexpected chapters that started helping me understand grace. Um, cause I was so legalistic in my heart, such a, um, works oriented believer, um, and started helping me experience Jesus in this authentic, real moment by moment way, because of what suffering did. And so that's partly why I have joy and I'm thankful because I, I would never have wanted to see the version of myself that I was at 18. I knew a lot. I knew scripture, um, pretty well. I, I was confident in what I could offer people, <laughs> how I could bless people for Jesus's sake and had no idea, um, what it was to walk fully dependent, clinging to Jesus needing him moment by moment. And that kind of existence is so liberating and so beautiful. So I'm so grateful that he didn't leave me, um, comfortable, <laughs> um, and living out the story that I thought I would live out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you actually say that your pain has opened your eyes to eternal realities and has wrought a soul of indestructible joy. Yeah. So I'd love to just mm -hmm. hear how you've learned to face the darkest days with hope mm -hmm. and joy and purpose. Yeah. I, I love your questions, Rachel. I love talking about this because I think we all, we all face these dark days in one way or another. And I like to say, you know, cancer doesn't have the corner on the market of suffering. That's not um, the only suffering there is. And there are actually, to me, there are far larger ones um, out there that I cannot fathom walking. And so I love sharing how God's been faithful in my dark days because it resonates with all of us. Um, and one thing I've learned is the reality that I don't get to walk around the dark days. I have to walk through them. And so some days, um, there is no light that I see. I haven't, um, 
you know, I don't see what God is doing in that moment, but what I've learned to do is to open myself up to him and just tell him what I'm feeling and tell him, um, how awful the circumstances are and tell him I'm angry or sad or fearful. Um, and as I am honest with him, as I pour my heart out to him, like lamentation says, pour out your heart, like water in the Lord's presence. Um, as I do that, I experience a reality that doesn't make sense. Um, it's really hard to describe, right? When we meet Jesus in those dark days and he's not changing our circumstances and he's not necessarily lifting the weight of our emotions in that moment. But as we walk with him, as we are in his presence, in our anger, you know, we, I'm angry, but God, I'm coming to you. <laughs> he doesn't ask us to pretend we're not angry or to pretend the circumstances aren't awful, but he joins us there and his presence transforms that day. And maybe I don't see the transformation until the next day, you know, and I go, wow, God, you, you carried me through that crazy, awful, indescribable day. And I was able to laugh last night or something that just takes me by surprise that I absolutely could not conjure up on my own, but that God does in those moments. And there, there are these, it's a string of little miracles through the years that now helps me anticipate his presence and goodness in the next dark day. So tomorrow, if it's dark and I can't see the end of it, I'll be able to look back at his kindness and goodness and, um, and that honestly helps me laugh and helps me experience joy. Um, and the other thing that has helped me is to, um, not move away from his word because that's, that's where I find him. That's where I experience him. Um, it gives me words to pray when I don't have any words to pray on those dark days. Um, so the word has been that in Deuteronomy, it says, these are not idle words for you. They are your very life. They are, they are my life on those dark days. These words that God's put together for, for us. Um, and then the other thing that comes to mind, um, is staying connected with the life-giving people in my life. Um, those who remind me of who I am, those who can speak into a dark day and say, there will be light. <laughs> um, so I have a circle of best friends and family that hold up my arms on those days and help me fight and keep battling and, um, remind me that, that God's goodness um, is still there. So those, those three things come to the surface when I think of walking through the dark days and experiencing the joy and the hope of God. Um, but there are many more, but those would be the main ones. <laughs> you, you actually wrote a book on this topic and it's titled yeah. in the hands of a fiercely tender God. Mm -hmm. And after all that you have endured, what leads you to believe that God's hands are both fierce and mm -hmm. tender? I think that that's such like a, a unique pairing of words that you put together. So I'd love to hear more about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love this, um, this reality that God is both. And the first thing I think of when I think of this combination is the fact that in our world, we, um, we have such a desire to be compassionate. I feel like that's the, um, maybe the 
I want to say God of our day, that might be too strong, but just this kindness and compassion that we, we can show people. Um, but often we do it in a way that is not, um, full of power. It's not fierce. It's not, um, there's nothing to kind of back up my compassion for others. I can't do anything for them in the sense of, um, I can't give them ultimately what they need. Colleen is limited. And so I can show this tenderness to others, but I have nothing more really to offer them. And when it comes to God, he has this tenderness and compassion and goodness that is backed up by infinite power, infinite resources. He can do anything he wants at any given moment for us. And I love Psalm 23, right? It's this beautiful um, truth that the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He's this tender shepherd, but he's also this powerful God. And one of the um, sweetest pictures in scripture that I see of this is in Luke, John 11, sorry, John 11, where um, Lazarus, his dear friend, Jesus's dear friend gets sick. And word comes to Jesus. He's out of town. He's a few, a couple days uh, journey from Lazarus at this point. And um, he gets word that his dear friend is sick. And it says, because Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, he stayed longer. He didn't run to fix things. He could, he had the power and the, um, the fierceness and the resources at his disposal but he stays longer. And because he stayed longer, we get to see a tenderness in Jesus that is mind blowing. He shows up um, several days later, Lazarus has been dead for a few days and Jesus, you know, Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters are saying, if you had been here, Lord, he would not have died. If you had been here and he sees everybody mourning, he, he hears Mary and Martha and he starts weeping. And Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus. He knew he was going to create more joy than these people could even fathom in just a few moments. Um, but there's a Greek word in that passage, and I won't even try to pronounce it, <laughs> but it's where it says Jesus was deeply disturbed or distressed. Um, it's the word, it, the word means to snort with anger. He was white, hot, angry at death. And, um, so he feels these emotions with us, but he also then raised Lazarus. So he has this beautiful, I just love that God is both. He's not one to the exclusion of the other. Um, he's both fierce and tender. He's fiercely tender in our sufferings. And I've experienced both time and time again. Um, and they come together. They're not separated. I don't just feel his compassion without his power. And I don't just experience his power without his compassion. And it's, it's sustaining to walk in that knowledge. Mm. Well, I, you know, I, I imagine you, your emotions have run through the gamut. Um, mm. I, I can only imagine, you know, bitterness and mm. joy and gratitude mm. and sorrow mm -hmm. and, and all of the things, but how have you learned to trust and love Jesus more than your circumstance and feelings. Like I, I get the sense that you pulled closer to Jesus rather than, than turning away from him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm a hard case because I don't, I don't think it takes this much, um, this much hardship for some people to, um, go to Jesus 
but I think I, I'm just so naturally bent toward pride and selfishness and self-righteousness. And, uh, I mean, I, I could just give you a laundry list, but that is such a strong bent in me, um, that I think, yes, that this journey has drawn me so close. It, and I, um, I always think of C.S. Lewis in his book, The Last Battle, where he says further up and further in when it came to um, the new Narnia, the eternity, that picture resonates so much with me in my experience with Christ, where Christ is saying, let's go further up and further in to these places in me, to these realities. Um, and so the circumstances and the feelings have been um, an invitation to those deeper places with Christ um, they have pushed me there. They, they'll either do one of two things, right? They'll harden us and cause us to, um, push Christ away, or they'll push us toward him. And honestly, that is Jesus pulling me toward him. It's not because I've made great decisions to, you know, cling to him or move into him. I, all I can say is that he has held me together and he has drawn me into him because that's not something I could have done on my own. Um, but yeah, those circumstances of, and I think I forgot to mention at the beginning that this has now moved from an initial breast cancer diagnosis to terminal cancer. Um, and, and that's a totally different gig to me than the first diagnosis is, um, okay, my time is short. And, um, the emotions are fever pitch. Sometimes there's, they're overwhelming. They're, um, I think of the Psalm that says all your waves and breakers have crashed over me. Sometimes that's what I feel. Um, but in those moments, there is nothing like experiencing Jesus and suffering. There's nothing like it. And that's why the apostle Paul says, this is my one goal to know Christ and his sufferings and the power of his resurrection, because there is something about knowing Jesus and suffering that you cannot get anywhere else. It's, it is an enviable invitation into Jesus um, when he allows us to suffer our own weakness and suffer external circumstances that seem um, mean or bad or unfair. Um, he's, he's literally working them for our good. Like Romans 8, 28 says he is, he's, that's such a cliche pat thing that I don't, I never quote that scripture to other people going through suffering. That's a hard one sometimes to hear when you're, you know, when you're in the midst of that grief, but it's true. He is turning those, um, those circumstances and even depression or anxiety or, um, bitterness into, an experience of him that I could not get if life was easy. I hope this isn't too much of a pressing question. And if it is just say that it is, but mm -hmm. you know, if we all know that we aren't going to live on earth forever, mm -hmm. you know, we, we know, yeah. we, we know that, but yet we, for yeah. some reason, I think that we're going to have a, a long life, but when yeah. you hear yeah. the words, you have terminal cancer, yeah. What does that do to your outlook? Like, okay, I know my time here on earth may be more brief now than I thought that it would be. Mm -hmm. do, how does mm -hmm. your perspective and outlook change on your days and the meaning and, and how you spend your days? Yeah. I love that question, Rachel. That's not, yeah, I love that. Um, it's interesting because chronic illness gave me such a heart for the brevity of life. And I started praying 
um, the Psalm, I think it's Psalm 90, um, help us number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so chronic illness started, started carving that um, reality into my heart. But yes, there's nothing like hearing this is the time that, the, you know, that you've got left. Now the doctors, you know, they don't know. God's got my day's numbers. It could be shorter um, than they've given me or longer, but yeah, that is a game changer. And it's honestly, um, it, it's a, a word that I wish we could all experience because it's become such a gift to me. I was just telling um, some dear friends and family who were over a couple nights ago, they were asking about this last year of life. And I said, it feels like there have not been any throwaways this last year because it is all sacred and weighty. And um, I think of my end constantly, not in a depressing way, but in that Psalm 90, I think it's verse 14, um, you know, help me. Num this is a day that I'm numbering. And that gives me a heart of wisdom because it you know, certain realities and priorities surface to the top when we're thinking that way and other things aren't important anymore. Um, and it's interesting to be in a conversation where someone might be getting embroiled in something that I used to get kind of worked up about. And in my head, I'm like, that's not even a thing anymore. It's not a thing. Um, and stuff like, you know, I've lost my head of hair twice big deal. You know, like I, a lot of times I can't wear makeup because chemo makes me rash out. And I just, I look kind of special, <laughs> but that's like, it doesn't matter in eternity. It doesn't matter if I'm, you know, looked young until I was 80. Like it just, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Um, and it, I mean, of course I'll still wrestle with it. I'm human and I'm, but I'm, I'm cut off I, I, those things. Um, are quickly pruned in my head and heart because of the reality of what's coming and um, the way that, you know, um, I interact with people where already things were on my heart, you know, and how to love people. And, but now it's, um, it's just more focused. It's more, um, it's more precious. It's more sacred those opportunities to love people, those opportunities to care for others, it just feels very sacred. Like, oh, I get another chance to care for someone today. That's incredible. Um, so all those things, yes, just, I don't know that I'm, my days unfortunately are spent a lot of times at the doctor's office or doing things that I don't want to do that don't seem eternally meaningful. But as I go to the doctor's office, I'm talking about Jesus. And then suddenly it becomes meaningful. Right. And, um, I know this cancer journey has definitely, um, helped me become more bold in sharing. I used to, you know, I will always struggle with a fear of what people think, unfortunately, but God has definitely worked on that area of my life so much and freed me from so much of that fear that now I can just, you know, it's like Jesus is standing there with me with people. And I'm just talking about him. Like he's right there with me because he is, <laughs> because I've experienced that. Oh, gosh, there's so much, it's, it's like, if we could, if we could all live with that kind of mindset, mm. how things would change in all of our days. Right? I know. Just yes. The domino effect of that and the yes. relationships built and the eternal impact of that. Yes. Uh, generations is just powerful to think about. Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to hear because your suffering has been long. 
And so how have, and how do we, if somebody listening right now is, is suffering, how, how do we suffer long, but suffer mm. well? I mean, is that even, yeah. is that even a fair question? <laughs> it feels like that it was not. <laughs> I love that question because I think that's where suffering goes to the next level is, you know, we all will suffer with something for two weeks and that, and that's a valid suffering. That's not to be discounted. Um, but those sufferings are short-lived and there's an end in sight. Um, and then, you know, one of my friends, actually a couple friends right now, um, who are younger than I am are, um, turning 40 and they're single and it's a long, long, long suffering for them. Um, and there's no end in sight. And that, that starts feeling different, right. For each of us, those longer journeys, um, they can harden our hearts. They can start making us feel hopeless. They can, when we can't see the end, um, for me, terminal cancer means this isn't a battle I'm fighting to win. Um, I will suffer physically until I die. That is now like, it's, um, I'm not suffering so that I can get better, you know, so that that's a, a shift in thinking. So I just, anyway, all that to say, I love that question. And I think, um, the, the going back to what I had said earlier, the experience of Jesus with us in our suffering and going into deeper places with him is sustaining. And there is an increasing experience and power and kindness and goodness that can only be experienced in the longer sufferings because he's infinite. And there are things that I've experienced with him that if he had cut short the suffering, I would never have experienced. So I think it's that hope of what am I going to experience in Jesus now? You know, there, that gets better and better. Even when the suffering gets harder and harder and longer and longer, Jesus gets better and better. And, um, that doesn't make sense in human terms, you know, in this, um, temporal mindset we have, but it's true. And I, I, that's why I love sharing my story right now. I get to say I'm weak, but Jesus is really good. And he's gotten better over the years. Even as I've become more aware of my weakness, I'm more aware of my sin and my brokenness than I was 20 years ago, but Jesus has become more beautiful and precious and powerful and real to me. And it's because the journey has been long. Um, so that's one way to suffer well is to bank on the fact that we're going to experience more of that goodness and beauty in Jesus. And another way I would go back to those same handles of not moving from experiencing him in his word, not for not staying in the word for head knowledge, not staying in the word to just check off Bible study time, but to really experience Jesus and find him in those pages. And then, um, the other thing would be to stay with our people to stay connected because they're going to be, and it may not be a lot of people who, who journey the whole journey with us. Some can't enter into that suffering with us and that's fine. They're, they just are not able to do that and that's fine, but some will see the journey to the end with us and to stay with them to stay communicating with them. Um, even if they're not, you know, 
um, local or we're, you know, we're staying in communication and we're confessing our sins and we're sharing our struggles and we're laughing together. And those things strengthen us to go the distance um, because isolation is, is death. It's the kiss of death. Um, so we cannot journey long and well um, by ourselves and to stay in the church in a life-giving healthy church um, to stay connected with spiritual leaders who are healthy and wise. Um, that has been absolutely a lifeline for me to make it, make it this long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us, people yes. with us. Yes. And so I'd love, love to just hear too, maybe some other habits. Cause I, I really love mm. how practical you are. Like these things have actually helped me. So are there other mm. things like habits that you have that have helped mm. you to build this joyful endurance? And, and I'm, as I'm thinking, is it perseverance or endurance that means long suffering? Is it Ooh. like the root word of, I'm gonna have to look That's this a up. Great really. question. Please do. I I'm gonna, I'm gonna look yeah. it up and put it in the show notes. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> like going back question. to those Greek like, words. I feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. there's something to that. But anyway, so my question for you is what habits have helped you build joyful endurance? Mm, I love that. I love getting practical. And I think because there are such dark days in suffering that if I know I have something just to do in that moment, um, and it's not overly spiritual or anything crazy fancy, but it's like, okay, I can do this small little thing right now. And that's going to get me to the next moment. Um, and one of those things has been gratitude. That's been a huge thing for me is, um, just thanking God. And it sometimes it's all that I can do to thank him for one small thing. And that little act, that little beautiful moment of faith starts turning my head and my heart toward Jesus. Um, I can just say, thank you, God, for this, you know, cup of hot black decaf coffee this morning. (laughs) And it might just start there. And sometimes maybe that's all I can get out if I'm overwhelmed. But usually that opens up my heart to say, the next thing, like, Oh, thank you, God, that you've given me a home. What a blessing that is. Some people don't have homes and, Oh, thank you for that bird outside of my window on the bird feeder. Um, that's such a beautiful little, little gift right now. Thank you for my husband who hugged me this morning, gave me a kiss before work. Those things start that starts changing my heart. And I know there's a lot about, um, gratitude in our world right now, but I think there's a unique gratitude, that the believer gets to experience because we're not just thanking. um, We're not just giving thanks into the, into empty space. We are thanking a good God who has given us these gifts. Um, And that starts um, working, working miracles in my heart. Um, The other thing is honestly, for me, it's getting out into creation, into nature and spending time marveling at beauty that helps my brain so much to start. It was a, an older, wiser woman who gave me that counsel probably 10 years ago. And she said, take an orange, go home, take an orange, look at the rind and study how it's like dimpled and smell it, cut it open, take a taste, look at how it's formed and created. Um, And for me, that was so helpful just to start because our minds can get so obsessed with what's hard and it's, it's, you know, anxiety producing stuff, but this 
opportunity to shift our gaze at something beautiful. And it, it takes us back to when Jesus said, look at the birds of the air, look at the wildflowers. Basically, if he's so good in how he's created these things, if he's made these things so beautifully, how much more is he going to be good and create beautiful things in us? Greater, his much greater creations. Um, so that's another handle that's helped. And then just doing something that's creative. If, you know, I tell people, if you have a creative streak, <laughs> do something that's creative. I'm not good at painting, but sometimes I'll paint. It's really bad, but it just, it helps feed my creativity. For me, it's writing that helps me um, to process something. Um, and there, I mean, we could do all kinds of, sometimes it's doing a kind of a craft with my son. I'm horrible at crafts, but it's just something creative. It's something to create. It's something to give life to, to produce something when I feel like, um, the world is kind of pounding down on me and I'm drowning to say, say I can create something that's beautiful and, or not so beautiful, but fun. <laughs> and, um, and then the last thing that comes to mind immediately is, um, thinking of others and reaching out to someone else. And that gives me so much purpose and so much joy and so much life to text a friend who's going through a miscarriage or to, um, have someone over to sit on my couch and just to listen to them. <laughs> you know, like I, it's so easy to get all about me, like all these medicines I have to take and appointments I have to go to. It's hard sometimes just to, to function at a baseline. Some days are hard um, to just get through and survive. So it's all about me sometimes. And that feels awful, but it's so life-giving to reach out to someone else and say, how are you doing? Tell me talk. And the other day I was able to sit with a couple of friends and do that and just ask him really pointed questions. Like what's, you know, what's been the greatest thing, um, in your life recently? Hey, tell me some brag, you know, tell me a brag right now that you wouldn't tell anyone else. That's like, that builds joy. It's so fun and life-giving. And, um, and then to, yeah, ask people about their suffering. If, you know, they're ready to talk to, to reach out and go, go deeper with them in that, to send a gift, Amazon, someone, you know, drop something off at their doorstep through Amazon, or <laughs> there's so many ways we can think outside of our own suffering and use that suffering to care for others. Do you, I think sometimes we're hesitant when, when somebody is in a season of suffering, mm. sometimes we're hesitant to, because we're, we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing, yes. or remind them that they're suffering, yes. which, you know, you know obviously, you, you know, I mean, it sounds like so silly to say, but it's like, we're no, it's true. Do you, do you mind when people ask you like, how are you feeling today? Like, do you get annoyed <laughs> by that? I mean, I'm, I'm just, I really am interested. Like, it's a you... great question. Yeah. No, I don't. I know some people do. So I, it's funny you ask that because I feel like even though I've been through these different things, I still feel that hesitation when someone else finds out they have a new cancer diagnosis. I'm like, Lord, tell me what to say, because I don't want to say the wrong thing either. So I get that. And what I've told people is if I know you love me, you can't say the wrong thing. If I know we have this sweet relationship, there's no way you can go wrong. Um, it's, you know, and there have been crazy comments along the way where I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> like that's, that could be super hurtful. But if it's from someone who loves me that it can morph into something, something good. Um, so I've, 
felt a little more confident reaching out to the people in my life who are suffering. Um, but I've also learned to just sit with them and not offer any advice um, for a really long time and let them wrestle and let them weep and let them be angry at God. Let them hold everybody at an arm's distance for a while. Let them isolate for a while, you know, like just send a little text, like, I love you, but you know, you don't have to do anything back kind of thing and just sit in the grief and be present one way or another, maybe not physically present, but, um, again, dropping a gift at their doorstep, something that says I am here and I'm with you and for you, but I'm not going to offer you a trite little Bible verse. I'm not going to, not that the Bible verse is trite, but I think the way sometimes we deliver it can be trite and hurtful. Um, so, you know, it's back to Job's friends, right? <laughs> so I think that, um, that's been really neat to see people do that so beautifully for me. And I've done all the wrong things over the years for sure. But, um, but those are some of the things that are beautiful. But again, if, if we're well-loved by someone and I love being asked questions, it's funny. I'm that person. And I know some people don't. So I try to discern that. <laughs> no, that's really good advice. And I, because the, the whole point of this podcast really is to show how we're living out our faith practically, but then mm. like, how do we, how are we supposed to go and be love offerings? And I yes. think so often, you know, and you've touched on a lot of those ways. And that was actually one of my questions is like, how have people, how have you been able to love people? Well, and I'm actually thinking mm. of your son, you know, you went mm. through chronic illness. So then you yeah. were able to then empathize with your son who had chronic yes. illness. And you know, you mentioned some of the ways that your friends and family members supported you. So would you dive deeper into that? If you would, if you have anything else yeah. to elaborate, like how have people really loved you well mm. during this season and how can we love people well during their seasons of suffering? I love that. I get excited about this because there are so many people, I mean, we all suffer. <laughs> so we all need this, way. right? Yeah. 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 So we all need this. Um, yes, I've been so well loved. Um, and I'll say, before I go into that, I do want to say there are moments and days where no one will be able to go with you mm. and everyone will, it will feel like everyone is failing you because the suffering is too large for a human person to enter into with you and you will find God there, right? I, um, there are God-shaped spaces in our souls that no one else can enter into that place. So when I say this, I, I just want to make that clear because I think there could be a tendency, and I have failed at this at times, to look to other people to sustain me. Mm -hmm. And while they're a lifeline, while God uses them powerfully, um, ultimately, it's going to be Jesus, right. That meets our every need. So, um, and then a lot of times he meets our need through people and he can do that, but it's, um, I, I like to make that distinction because, um, every single person in suffering is going to fail us. Like we are going to fail them at some point and that's freeing. And then, then we can move in, um, to loving people when we don't feel like we have to be God for them. Um, that's so freeing for me to understand that when I go to love someone who is in the thick of a very dark season, I might not do it perfectly. And that's okay because I'm going to pray over it like crazy. You know, I'm going to ask God to help me know how to care for them. And then I'm going to be okay with being a limited human, um, 
that's weak and sometimes gets it wrong. But, um, and then that gives me grace for others who might not do things the way I, you know, would be more meaningful to me. Um, but all that said, I have been loved so well by people and, um, I do not, I have not deserved the way I've been loved, but people have come, um, and sat with me on my couch and cried with me. I can't tell you what that means to sit with, with someone who will just share tears and not have, again, not have all the right words, but just say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, and they're not apologizing for what God's doing. They're just, they're entering in and understanding this is really painful. And then, um, others have shown up with meals, you know, and, and, um, care for my son. When people care for my husband and son, it does something to my heart that nothing else will. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a real tangible. Most people won't think of that first. They're thinking of me first, but when they do something, they reach out and see how my husband's doing, or they take my son out and do something fun. So he has joy and he doesn't have to think heavy thoughts and, um, those things bless me so much when they're caring for my people. Um, and then others, um, my sister-in-law, Amanda writes me a handwritten card every week. She sends it in the mail. I mean, I never get anything in the mail. <laughs> I just, it's I open that card. I, <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> Thank heavens we're online stuff, man. Um, but it's just like, what a what a precious gift. Like no one sends stamped, you know, snail mail anymore, but, um, it's just come in such a variety of ways. Um, some people will just check in regularly. How are you doing? How can I pray? Some people send a text that just says, I love you. I'm just so blessed by your story. And that gives me purpose. Like, Oh, you're blessed by what God's doing. That's all that keeps me going, you know? And, um, yeah, my parents will come over and change my sheets, make my bed, you know, it just all, it comes in such a beautiful variety of ways. Um, and it, I think underlying all of these things is to me, compassion means so much. It's just, that's how my heart is wired. So when someone does anything out of compassion, I feel it. I, I, that's a deeply felt gift, um, when it's out of tenderness and, and love and compassion. So you can't, yeah. Again, they can't really go wrong when I, I feel that heart of it. Mm-hmm. And then others will bring a party to our house. And that is like one of the best gifts ever. <laughs> like we had, ta- we had taco night the other night and we were laughing and it's just what a gift. Cause I can't get out very well. And, um, I'm thinking for other people, what would translate, um, that, but anyway, each, each person is unique. So I know some people it, it will, come in different forms, what is most meaningful for them. But, um, but also, you know, I'll I'll add this. I think it's easy to, um, be overwhelming to someone who's in the midst of suffering. And I think that gentleness and that, um, it's a kind and gentle approach to help instead of a forceful one or, um, assuming we know what they need or uh, what to say. It's a, a real humble before God, like, God, give me your spirit's wisdom right now. And let me go gently because a person who's in the thick of, 
a, you know, dark days is going to be easily overwhelmed. They've just got so much going on that, um, yeah, just not expecting much in return from that person. And so I love to give something to someone and just say, don't write me a thank you. <laughs> I'll just say that up front. Like you don't need to respond. I'll, I'll text someone who's grieving and say, you don't need to respond. I just love you so much. Um, so I think that gentleness, um, when they are in over their head is really helpful too. Gosh, that's such good wisdom. Um, and just to pray for discernment, like God, God lead us. And then we just obey those promptings. Yeah, Um, for sure. Well, there's, I feel like that today's whole conversation has been a love offering, but Uh, is there there anything additional? Cause this is the question I ask every single one of my guests as we we close, but based on today's conversation, Mm. how do you think we can best be love offerings? Yes, I agree. I feel like we've been talking so much about that. I'm trying to think of how to say that in a few words. I think opening ourselves up to risk and love by the power of God's spirit is maybe how I would say that. Um, Yeah, we could be a love offering by risking to love others by the power of God's spirit in us and allowing him to give us that discernment and that gentleness and that compassion that is not of ourselves. Um, Being able to be poured out for others, that actually gives me so much hope in this journey is some days um, when it's so dark, I think, God, you are using this story to help others make it through dark days. And in that moment, I do, I, I feel like a love offering, you know, and nobody sees it in that moment. Nobody sees what I'm fighting for and through on that dark day. But the idea that this is going to sustain someone else who is facing extraordinary suffering, um, is so precious to me. So, so precious. And it's the feeling of being poured out. And again, that's an experience of Jesus, the way he poured himself out. And that's not in my, it's not from me. That's not in my own nature. And then I marvel that Jesus puts that heart in us in the midst of suffering, that he would live out his life through us to pour ourselves out for others is such a, it's a, that's a miracle. Um, so I didn't say that very succinctly, but <laughs> You said it you said it beautifully. And that's the hope I think for all of our lives is that what we've done and said here in our time will matter yeah. for eternity for other yeah. people, for us. And um it's so beautiful. And so I, I know that um I have been blessed by my conversation with you. I want mm. to stay connected with you. I'm sure Same. listeners are going to want to. Mm. So how can we do that? How can we buy mm. a copy of your book and, and all the, all the other things that we can connect with you through? Oh yeah. I'm that person that just has one social media okay. platform. So I just use Instagram. It's Colleen.chow, C-H-A-O. Um, that's all I use right now. And um yeah, that's the, the way to stay connected. I, um, well, I have a website, um, that they can go to colleenchow.com. I don't update it very well. So I, I, or very often, but I do try to pop up a cancer update, um, once in a while. So that could, yeah, that could be a great way to, um, 
my flaky blogging self, but, um, but yeah, that's another way to connect. Um, but can I just say really quickly, Rachel, you are such a blessing and the thing that you're doing with this podcast is such a gift to me. And I just, I'm just so blessed by how you're pouring yourself out. It's just such a gift. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Well, I just appreciate your time and for, um, sharing so vulnerably your story Mm. with us. Um, it's been an encouragement to me and I, and I, I know it will be an encouragement when everybody else listens as well, but, um, more than anything, I am inspired by, um, how you have drawn closer to the Lord and want to live for him. Um, Mm. and I think that that is my main lesson that I have learned um, from Mm. you today. And Mm. so just thank you so much for your time and and for who you you are. Thank you. You are, you're a joy to to chat with. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Colleen Chow. Today's episode and conversation was probably one of the most impactful uh, that I've had today on this podcast, the way that she has lived her life and encourages us to live our lives, no matter how much time we have here on earth. This week, our love offering is from Colleen, and she says to open ourselves up to risk loving by the power of God's spirit. If you're interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or Facebook. I would love to connect with you there. I'd also love to connect with you over on rachelkadams.com. There you can subscribe to receive the weekly love offering newsletter. And all of this information can go straight to your inbox each week. You can see and, and hear old podcast episodes. You can also read the love offering blog and download free resources. You can also join the insider team for my upcoming devotional, A Little Goes a Long Way. The insider team will get a full ebook for free after you pre-order the copy of your own devotional. If, If this message of 52 days to a significant life really resonates with you, if you feel like your life seems too small to make a big difference and you want to see the value of all the little things that you're doing to contribute to God's kingdom for his glory. I can't wait to share this message for, with you. It is it has transformed my own heart and my own mind and my own life and I pray the same for you. So if you would like to be a part of this insider team, receive that ebook after pre-ordering the book on any retailer site. I would I would just be thrilled to have you be a part of this and you can find all that information at rachelkadams.com. So thank you so much for tuning in. Next week, my guest is Alexandra Hoover. She is on the show talking about her book, Eyes Up. I can't wait to share that message with you and talk to you again then. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.